Welcome back to another episode of MJ's Progress, Not Perfection. Today's guest is Travis. He wrote a book called My Life with Karma. It is now on Amazon. You can find it inside the description right here. Um, definitely go check it out. Karma, you're going to find out a lot about. It's not just what you think it is. It's actually the name of his dog that he rescued. Um, he was the next cop that got caught up on drugs. And cops do not treat ex-cops kindly. That's all I got to say. It's a long one. Strap in. But it's a very good conversation with somebody who's been through it. And he's still standing. Brain injuries and all. And you're going to hear all about where they came from very shortly. Welcome, Travis. I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, JD. So now, just to give some background, you used to be a cop? Yeah, that's correct. So I did dignitary protection for one of Wisconsin's governors for about two years. Then I worked as a security supervisor for UW-Madison. Okay. All right. So like, is that like Capitol Police or something like that? Isn't Madison the Capitol or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So I worked for Capitol Police first and then UW Police after that. Okay. And what, now you're, you were a drug addict too while you were a cop. Yeah, that's correct. All right. Now, what got you into drugs in the first place? Because usually, you know, cops, you know, they don't want to do drugs. So Yeah, no, no, exactly. Um, So it was a doctor's script that got me hooked. Um, I was huge into powerlifting. So while I was protecting the governor, I was uh, trying to qualify for worlds in powerlifting. Uh, basically, what happened was training one day, I injured L4 and L5, went to a walk-in, um, and they gave me just a plethora of pills. Basically, I got set up on Oxy, um, a Dotalac, and then some other muscle relaxant. Like, so, like stomas and shit? Like, yeah, exactly. Kind of yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was like so. a high school thing for me. <laughs> um, gotcha. Um, so... When when was this? What year was this? Like when you got hurt and like they gave you oxy? Because oh, I man. feel like that would have been like the mid two thousands. Like that was yeah, when it, was it really would have been like yeah. Actually, it was a little later than that. I think uh, around two thousand nine. Okay. Yeah. So, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that makes sense. I got really heavy into um, oxy in October two thousand eight. Okay. That's like when I like discovered it. You know what I mean? Like when you oh, yeah. take a couple tens and then you're off to the races and then you just want, you know, more and more and more. Because I think I started with Percocets, the 10 milligram perks, and then I went right into 30 milligram Roxycodones. And I stuck with them for nine and a half years. Yeah. Like daily, you know. Um, so, you, but obviously you were taking them as prescribed, I'm sure, right off the bat. Yeah, at first, for sure. So um, first 30 days, no big deal, like took them as prescribed. Um, I think it was that second window, like that kind of 30 to 60, where I started doubling up on them um, just because I wasn't getting that same effect. And I was still trying to train through it. So the whole time I was still lifting um, and not obviously not what you want to do with a back injury, but I was so determined, like, I was looking at it like, this is my shot to go to Worlds, really kind of make a name for myself, and I, I didn't want anything else more, so I said, fuck it, I'm like, I'm just going to roll the dice and see how my back holds up, so um, basically after 90 days, they told me, dude, you got to go see a doctor, like, we're, we're pretty much, you have to go check in with your primary, let them know what's going on, 
we're not going to give you more pills. So instead of doing that, I doctor shopped and I just went to a different walk-in, told them, hey, here's what's going on with my back. I have really bad sciatica. And right away, they gave me a script. So I was like, well, I can just bounce around. I don't need to essentially worry about going to my doctor, getting surgery. I can just do it my way. And that's when things started to go downhill. Yeah, doctor shopping, for those who don't know, was extremely easy in the late 2000s, early 2010s. I think around 2013-ish is when they started, like, putting a hammer down with the pharmacies, started talking to each other and making sure that, you know, you couldn't do that. Because I was doctor shopping in 2012, you know, still, and I was able to do that for, like, an entire year. And then, well, then my main doctor I was going to was shady, you know, and they only took cash, you know, insurance isn't, insurance isn't covered there. It's only a cash. It's like $150 and you're sitting around a waiting room, you know, a living room basically of a house and everyone's addicts. You look around, no one's there that needs pills for pills. You know, we're all there for the same thing. And there's no way they can see 30 people in an hour unless they're just writing scripts and then you're walking out the door. Oh, yeah. It's got to be a revolving door at that point in time. That's the only way they're going to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably easy for the cops to watch them be like, all right, well, they just saw 20 patients in the last hour. How is that? Right. (laughs) Exactly, bro. That's but exactly it. They end up getting shut down. I remember I got the phone call from the nurse there. Like, hey, you have one script waiting for you, and it's going to be your last one. You better come down and grab it before the cops take it. Uh, oh, like, damn. So she gave you a heads up. Yeah. Okay. And Because I had been there, you know, monthly for like a year and a half. Okay. And so she knew me, and, you know, because I had to change around appointments all the time. You know, I'm a personable guy, so okay. I, I chat up everybody. And um, so, yeah, she called and said, hey, I know you have an appointment next week, but, like, you got to get down here because we're about to shut down. The cops just arrested, like, one of the owners. Fuck. You know, and yeah. – and but that wasn't my only source of pills. That was just my one source. That was, okay. like, the first source, and then I would have to rummage from there. Now, okay, so it's 2009, so you're doctor shopping now, and you're yeah, still a exactly. cop. You're still yep. a cop. You're still lifting. Is anybody – are you with your wife then? Because you're yeah, married yeah. Now. So I was, yep. So not, that was my first wife that I was with at that. And like our relationship, it was, I don't know, man. It was one of those relationships where we got together in college and we worked in college during that kind of lifestyle. And then once we were out of college, it was like, shit, we're not compatible. Like she wanted to go to the barn every day to ride her horse. And I was pretty much like, okay, you need to get a job. Like We just didn't work off the bat and it became more like two friends living together than an actual marriage. So as soon as I started to show signs of problems, like, for example, she called my best friend and thought I had an issue with caffeine. Well, of course, I was streamlining caffeine because I was trying to counter effect the oxy and still lift on it. So even back then, I was, like, taking pre-workout mixed with, like, monsters, shit like that, just to be picked up enough that I wasn't, like, on the nod. You were basically doing speedballs without fucking meth. You know That's what I exactly mean? That's exactly it. Yep. You were, you were doing speedballs, you know, and, yep. I, and I was doing that with Coke and, you know, mixing that with Coke and Oxy. Like, not Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, I drank a shitload of that, too. That's my go-to. But still, yeah. like, you know. Um, so she thought he were addicted to caffeine. 
Yeah, for sure. She said she thought I had a caffeine problem and maybe a slight problem with alcohol, but that was all she really knew. Now, what oxy were they giving you? Because there's so many different, you know what I mean? Like, oh, shit. I know I started with 10s and I think I moved to, I, I peaked at like 30s, I think. Okay, the blue ones? So, yeah, the blue ones. Yeah, the blue ones. Those were yeah. my, yeah. That was mine, you know, the Roxycodone, the Roxycodone, whatever you want to call them. We call them Roxy's yep. Blues, whatever you want to call them. Yep. But those little blue 30 milligrams, that was my life for nine and a half years. Yeah, exactly. and, I, and I never did heroin because I loved doing, you know, the pills so much. I, you know, I was addicted to sniffing as much as I was to the pills, you yep. know, behaviors and shit. Now, so you're on the 30s and you're working as a cop still. You're yeah. lifting. Now, and, but are, do you have a partner when you're a capital cop? Do you guys have partners or are you solo out no, there? No, no. So solo. And I worked so... It didn't get, when I was a Capitol cop, it wasn't bad. It was really bad when I was at UW. Like Capitol, I just kind of, I, I just started using and it was, I was still using at that time, like as prescribed. Um, at UW, because I switched jobs, um, that's where, I, dude, I was a mess right off the bat. And Essentially, at first, I was in an office space where I had shared space, so it I wasn't really as blatant about using there. Like, I would pop a couple pills before I went into work, take some more over lunch, and then do that again, like, at around 3 o'clock, and then go lift, and then take more pills. I mean, that was my day. Um, and then it got to the point where I wasn't getting the same effect out of it, so then I was literally popping one crushing one and snorting it off my desk at work. Um, that was before anyone else even came into the building. Yeah. Um, that was just to start my day. That was just to even feel like remotely normal and remotely decent enough to be like, okay, now I can function. Because at some point, I, I, I'm just shooting in the dark because of experience. They woke you up. You didn't need yeah. the caffeine because as soon as you did a line of a 30, you were awake. Yep, exactly. You know, that was the difference. Like, it's so funny that the addicts like understand it because if you're not an addict, you take a 30, you're going to be knocked out in five minutes. Exactly. You know, but when you're an addict, you sniff that 30, you are wide awake. You're cleaning. You're good to go. Like You have the energy. You're ready. So I, I'm not even surprised by that, you know, just because I know from experience. Like, So it was, what, 2011 when you transferred to UW? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And now you're just crushing them and sniffing them now it's a problem yeah now it's a big problem um and i didn't to be real with you i didn't even realize how big of a problem it was it was just like i was in that routine in that mindset and i'm just like well this is what i have to do to function and then i kept writing it off as well as long as i can maintain my job i'm good like yeah. that was like the level in my head that i was like okay as long as i'm going to work every day collecting a paycheck I'm fine. I don't need to worry about it. Um, then eventually I got cut off. Uh, and that's where things got really fucking sketchy. So in Wisconsin, where I live in Madison, like UW Health is huge. So the first bridge I burnt was UW Health. They ended up putting a note in my chart saying, okay, like this guy hasn't gotten help for this back problem in like a year and a half, almost two years at that point in time. Um, you know, we, I got flagged is really what it came down to. 
then I don't know how it happened, but I got flagged at a Walgreens somehow. Walgreens, so that was, was, like, Walgreens yeah. was the first one to shut down. Walgreens yep. was the first one out of all the pharmacies to be like, no, we're not going to fill your script. Um, and it was everywhere for Walgreens. Like, I'm telling you, like, we had to go to Walmart, you know, or CVS. CVS and, C- and Walmart, yep. Yeah, yeah, those were the go-tos that would fill your script. But Walgreens, they would send us out the door. You know, they wouldn't even fill my Xanax at Walgreens anymore. Oh, wow. Um, so they were shutting down. That was across the board in, like, 2012, roughly, I think it was, when they started okay. shutting down. Because there was a Walgreens on this corner and a CVS here and then a Walmart down here. So, but it was easy to pull into the Walgreens and deal with them and go to CVS. So we would go there, and then they were like, yeah, we're not going to fill that anymore unless you have cancer. Like, straight up. Oh, wow. They're like, we're, yeah. not fill, we're not filling it unless, they, unless they're cancer patients. Sorry. And, you know, they could make that call. They were allowed to. They were, they were reserving the ones that they got for the patients that they had, and they would only order a certain amount, and they'd be reserved for their patients each month, so they wouldn't give us any. But CVS and, you know, especially Walmart, Walmart really didn't give a shit. They, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you need 100 and 180 30s and 120 Xanax. That makes sense for a 25-year-old. You know, here's your script, sir. Have a nice day. You exactly. know, like, really? Um, all right. So now you're cut off. Yep. Now. So, like, I know what I did. What did you do? Okay. So I had a connection through the gym, a guy I lifted with. And he's like, well, I can get you some Vicodin to hold you over. And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, it was basically whatever I can get, I'm going to take. And so I took, I think I got 30, I don't remember. I just know it was like 30 some milligrams of Vicodin. And I was happy for about 15 days. Then he's like, well, through, it wasn't good RX. It was through something else. He was able to get some generic shit from Canada that was vet grade. So that was the next thing I moved to. I moved right into like this veterinary grade, non-coded pills that were, I, I think they were giving them dog, to dogs post-surgery. And those did not have the same kind of pop um, at all. So I was doing like six yeah. to eight of those at a time. They're meant and, for a 50 to 100 pound dog, you know what I mean? Exactly. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I was doing those, trying to get by, and then... With the connection that I had to um, the horses, I was also doing Butte, which is like horse aspirin. Um, I would take one eighth of the dose that they would give to a horse, and I'd take that orally and then chase that with alcohol because it was super bitter, just tastes like hell, and it was really hard to keep down. Um, So I did that. I don't know how long I did that. A couple months at least. And this, I mean, wheels are starting to fall off. My work at, or like works, they, I don't know. It was weird because I worked with cops every day and no one ever said shit. That's what and I here I am. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, I like, mean, here. A partner, because a partner would have seen. Oh, know, yeah. I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually promoted me at work, moved me to my own office, which was like a great. So now I'm out of sight, out of mind just completely wrecked, barely getting shit in. And then the problem was the bills started piling up. So I'm paying $300. I was paying three or $600. I think $600 at the time. Basically, I was getting 180 pills of that vet grade stuff for 600. Well, I was blowing through that. Like at first it was like, oh, that will last me a month. No, it lasts me like a couple weeks. Yeah. 
And then the next thing I know, I have to re-up. Well, on at the time, I was making $19.95 an hour. So decent, but not enough to support a house, a wife, and a habit. So yeah. I started stealing. Um, at the gym I went to, I actually, well, without implicating anyone else, I had a connection there where I was getting credit card information and then moving that along to someone else. Um, and essentially, I did that for two or three months until I got caught. Um, and that was, and then each one of those charges came with two charges, one for false representation and then one for theft. Um, and they're, they're all misdemeanors at the time. So I ended up with like 14 misdemeanors when I finally got busted one day. Uh, essentially, I walked into work and my lieutenant called me into his office. I was like, okay, shit, this isn't good. But I hadn't even taken my pills yet. So I was like, hey, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself like, fuck, dude, I still got to take my pills. Like I was, yeah, I was worried about the lieutenant, but I was more worried that I hadn't taken my shit yet. So I get called into his office. Here's a detective in plain clothes and two city cops. And I'm like, at that point in time, I'm like, yeah, I know I'm fucked. Like, um, so basically they did the whole thing, like laid down this file they had on me, tried to get me to talk. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to tell you shit. I know how this goes. You're not going to help me out. Like anything I say is just going to be used against me. You're not going to put in a word for, with the DA. Like, don't give me that shit. So when I got cuffed, the guy didn't double lock or safety lock my cuffs. So the whole time to jail, my cuffs tightened up. So by the time I got to jail, my hands were purple and I ended up with a radial neuropathy in one of my wrists just from that experience. Like, I mean, they, they definitely being a cop and then getting arrested is probably one of the worst things because like, they look at it like you betray the badge, you betray the blue. And it's like, man, I'm a drug addict, drug addict that needs help that went off the rails pretty damn fast. Um, and it just didn't, like no one else looked at me that way. It was like instantly I was that Mariah just cut off from everybody. So everyone I knew at work, like I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't talk to because they were cops. Second of all, my attorney's like, yeah, you know, these, even if they were your friends, they're not your friends now. So pretty nothing much. With, nothing with police unions or anything? Because I got to say uh, police unions, like, doing some ridiculous shit all the time to, like, uh, help out cops from, like, killing fucking people. Yep. And here you are with misdemeanors, and they're looking at you like you're just some piece of shit drug addict. Yeah, exactly. So I, and here's the reason why. So when I protected <laughs> the governor... I was I was not union um, because of the information we were privy to with the governor. Like, so we couldn't unionize. Um, I forget what it was called, um, but basically we weren't represented. And then when I transferred to UW, my position was non-sworn. So essentially I wasn't carrying a firearm. Um, okay. Yeah, so. That makes sense then. Um, and they had no, like, they didn't want to help. They just no, not at all. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like we're gonna get you help and get you straightened out, Travis. Like get you back on the right track. None of that. No, it was like, dude, we're gonna throw you under the bus and make an example out of you. So the next, <laughs> the next person that comes along, 
is going to be scared straight. I mean, that was their approach. What year was this? Um, that would have been sometime between 2011 and 2012. Okay, so it's safe to say that was the last time you were a cop? Yep, yeah. Okay, <laughs> just a guess, just a guess. Yeah. Um, so what what happened with those misdemeanors and all that? What ended up coming So I ended up pleading out to them, um, served time in jail, uh, same county that I was a cop in. That was interesting. Um, basically had to hide my identity while I was there because I was, I was worried I was going to run into someone. I mean, shit, I didn't make that many arrests in my career, like working for the governor. Yeah. But I mean, you know, like there was enough that it was like, yeah, being in this jail. And if it was known I was a cop in Madison, not great. So, so basically what happened between the time I was a cop and the time that I went to jail, I got a job as a server in a restaurant, didn't, you know, started um, an outpatient treatment um, and pretty much just, and started going to meetings. So it was like, okay, I'm going to try to get my life together, try to get my shit back on track. And right around that time, my first wife was like, yeah, I'm going to file for divorce. So one day, yeah, which I was, I, yeah. I understood. It was like, okay, the shittiest thing was one day I came home from working a double at the restaurant and just everything was gone. Like she had moved out while I was at work. Um, and this was post-jail. This is, no, this is pre-jail. This is this while is I'm like, like. In the hearings and all that yep. shit. Okay, yeah, that exactly. Was yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so you just came home and you're fucking gone. Yep, everything's gone. Like, yeah, yep, pretty much house is empty. There's like a little, I have a picture on my Facebook because it was like just this little footstool in the middle of the room. That's all that was left. And I was like, I called in my bachelor coach because it's like, dude, this is my life now. Like, that's it. I so. feel like if that were me, I would have then had given myself permission to go get high again. I wanted to. I really did. Um, what I've left out, so... During the, the chaos and um, everything, when I connected with that drug dealer, um, I mean, we ended up lifting with each other at the gym, too. So it was kind of a fucked up relationship that I had with him. Most at people times, have weird, weird, strong relationships with their dealers where, like, you become buddies. Yeah, and that's what I had going on. It was like we were buddies, but then in the same sense, he'd flip that switch where it was like he became the businessman, like, okay, so now let's talk, and, you know, that yeah. was it. Well, anyway, so he found out while we were lifting one day that I, I love dogs. I've always loved dogs, always grew up with dogs, and he told me, he's like, yeah, you know, I know this guy, he's got this house. And he's got a dog chained out front. I'm not sure if it's a pity, what it is, but I know you like dogs and this dog is, definitely needs some help, is suffering, whatever. He didn't know too much about it, but he had an address for me. And I'm like, one Saturday, I decided to go check it out. I'm like, okay, I'll swing out there, see what's going on with this dog. And yeah, no intention of bringing it home. Um, soon as I met the dog, she was... She was cool. She like she didn't growl at me right away, but was totally emaciated, just like probably 30 some pounds, torn up, ears were shredded. 
um, just bleeding both front paws, looked like shit. Like there was a bowl flipped over, you know what I mean? Should have had water, didn't have water. Just pretty much anything horrible you could do to a dog was done to this animal. So I walked up to the house and, you know, at this time I still have the cop bravado going on. So I bang on the door and no one answers. <laughs> I bang on the door again and they're obviously not gonna answer. So I go back, look at the dog again and made a decision. I'm like, well, this dog's gonna fucking die if I leave it here. So I went back to this hardware store that I passed on the way to the house. It's got the biggest water I could find, came back, knocked on the door again. And I let the people know, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna take your dog. So either they answered? you can come out. No, oh, because I saw him do like uh, this little peak thing. Oh yeah. So I knew they were right there and I knew people could hear me. So I just said, I'm like, I have money. If you need money, I'm like, but I'm taking your dog. And no one ever came to the door. So I was like, fuck it. Went back to the tree. And at that point in time, as I got closer, I still remember like she growled at me, kind of gave me like a little warning snap. I was like, all right, I need to slow my roll. Um, baited her with like some McDonald's French fries, pretty much distracted her and was able to rescue this dog. So she became like, as my wife kind of bailed out of the picture, all my focus when I wasn't using was just on rehabilitating this animal. Um, so she became my rock through when I wanted to use. What I did was I'd take her on a walk. And you know how, like, if you have a conversation with a sponsor, for example, like I would have those kind of conversations with the dog as I'm mm -hmm. walking. Like, Yep. And just kind of tell on myself. And it helped. Um, it really did. It it helped keep me at least from using. And that yeah. was the biggest thing. Yeah, so. pets. Yeah, my dog saved me from suicide. Having my okay. dog kept me from committing suicide like a dozen times. You yep. know, I would always do the whole, oh, it's raining now. I'll, I'll take my car into a tree, look like an accident. You know, I'll go out for smokes and I'll come back. And every time I went to go do it, I thought, what's going to happen to Zoe? How long is it going to take till someone finds Zoe in the house? How long till she gets food or gets to go to the bathroom? Because she's such a good dog, she won't piss her shit in the house. You know, and that kept me from doing it every single time. Um, and when I went to rehab, I gave her to my parents to watch for me because they have, like, another dog that's her age. And they have a fenced-in yard. And when I got back from rehab, I was feeling so good, and I still am, that I said, just please keep her there. I was like, yeah. I don't want to put her into an apartment with me and have her stuffed up as much as I would love to cuddle with her every night. Like, she saved my life. She deserves to have a big yard to run around in until the day she dies now. Exactly. So she served her purpose for me, and now I can let her be happy. My mom feeds them fucking scrambled eggs every morning and shit. She's eating good, living good, you know? <clears throat> so, um, all right, so now, you're, now you have this dog. And the yep. dog is, you know, basically your sponsor and it's basically your go-to and your rock. Exactly. Um, so what's, what's going on now? It's like 2012. You're still waiting yep. to go to jail. Still waiting, waiting on jail. Um, which is, man, that's, I don't know how it is for other people, but for me, like the anxiety during that time almost pushed me to using too. Like there were so many times where like, because all I could do was ruminate and like speculate, like, what is this going to be like? I mean, going through police training, there's no manual for if you're a cop and you go to jail, like no one talks about that kind of shit. 
So it's just like, all right. So I'm picturing like uh, any any show I've seen on TV. I think Oz, if you remember that one. I remember from that HBO. show. Yep. Yeah, okay. I'm thinking it's going to be like that. I'm like, fuck, man, I'm dead in a week. Like, there's yeah. no way. This is just not going to be good. I was thinking um, of um, The Departed when he goes to jail as a cop. Okay, yes, you know, gotcha. And how he has to be, like, you know, in there as a cop and or an ex-cop or whatever. But obviously that was a totally different situation because they had his back. Yeah. Um, well, they kind of did. I mean, we all yeah. saw the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so how long is it? Like, because that sentencing process can take a while sometimes. Oh, like, man, I think it, the whole thing took about, like, it, somewhere between six and nine months to okay. get it all worked out. So, yeah, and I I ended up doing the first time I was in jail, I think I was there for three months in and then another seven on house arrest. So where did your dog go? um, She went to my mom's house. Okay, good. So so kind of kind of like your mom, my mom's similar setup, fenced in yard, loves animals, just took her in right away. And yeah, it was awesome. So that's good that you could at least, you know, go to your parents, you know, because a lot of us, you know, in addiction, we lose everybody, you know, and luckily it sounds like both of us were lucky enough to have some parents that were understanding and, you know, uh, at least like sympathetic and wanting to help us and make sure that, you know, we do good. Some parents completely turn their back or some parents are in addiction, too, and they don't know what the fuck to do. They're like, how can I help you? I can't even help myself. You know? Exactly. See, and so, I had that with my dad, man. Like my dad was an abusive alcoholic. He was a high school principal. I mean, would come home and just like literally beat the shit out of me when I was a kid. And I'd have no idea why. It was just either he had a bad day at work, didn't drink enough, drank too much. I mean, it could be any reason. So my mom grew up with that and with him um, being abusive and eventually left him. So I think when I went through my shit with addiction, she looked at it like, okay, this is her chance to like help her son. Yeah. Um, is really kind of, so she stepped up that way. Because time. yeah, you're part her, you know, yeah, her, her, exactly. her husband, her ex-husband, your dad wasn't any parts of her. It was just a guy that she met and she had a kid with and was married to. Yeah. So you, you can let that go a lot easier in addiction and alcoholism. You can be like, all right, well fucking see you, bro. You're not changing. But your son or your daughter, you, you know, that's part of you still, you yeah. know. Um, so it, it, is, you still talk to your dad? Um, my dad died when I was 20. So he okay. died of cirrhosis of the liver and kidneys. Oh, I think yeah. alcohol does that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, how did how was that for you at 20? Because, like, you were in college at the time, I would imagine. and Yeah. You know, like, um, I'm sure it's confusing with him beating you. How long did he beat you? Like, how old were you man, last time? Um, last time, I was probably, like, 15, maybe 16. Um, and that's part of what got me into weightlifting. I was just going to say, was, I, when yeah. you start lifting, because was it to protect yourself? Yeah, it was. To protect myself, um, my mom and my little brother, too. I got a brother who was four years younger than me. Okay. So it was, like, being the oldest, too, like... I shielded him from a lot of shit. Like whenever my dad would get mad, it would always come down on me because I was the oldest one. So little brother would like typically dip out of the house on his bike, go to a friend's house, and then I get my ass kicked. When did um your mom finally leave him? How old were you? 
Oh man, like seventeen. Okay. So so yeah. he like after he left, I mean, he hit the bottle extremely hard to the point, like I said, he was dead within two years. Two and a half, yeah. Two yes. two and, and, and a half years. Drank himself into the fucking grave. It sounds how old was he? Yeah. Uh fifty three. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, exactly. you know al- alcohol is the most dangerous drug out there. Oh, let's hands be down. real. Let's be yeah. real. Like, you know, it's <laughs> As a pill addict, I can't imagine. Like, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, alcohol led me to pills. Alcohol stopped working for me when I was 22, and then I turned to pills instead every day. Um, But, like, I'm not powerless to alcohol. Like, I'm powerless to pills, if that makes sense. I can see alcohol and be like, fuck that shit. But pills in front of me, a line in front of me, that's a harder thing for me to be like, you know. So I can't imagine driving down streets or walking into a gas station to buy cigarettes and seeing, like, 30s behind the counter you know could you imagine having to like go out in public and like go past like a store that says come in and get oxys you know oh there's no way you know you know like so i i give anybody that gets sober from alcohol that's a true alcoholic you know a real alcoholic as we call them you know i give them so much fucking credit to be able to like to look at alcohol and say nah i'm done with it because like i can sit here and say yeah i'm done with it i haven't had a sip in 18 months you know, but at the same time, you know, alcohol didn't send me to rehab. I, I didn't lose control with alcohol. I didn't, I wasn't unmanageable because of alcohol. You know, my life yeah. wasn't unraveling because of alcohol. It, alcohol led me to pills to where, you know, it unravels. But like, I can't imagine that, you know, and yeah. I'm so fucking lucky that, you know, I'm lucky. I'm so glad that um, I can look back and be like, all right, well, at least it's pills and I can avoid them. I don't have to That's see true. them in Seven Eleven under the counter, or exactly. you know, in the fucking and make those freezer. hard decisions all the time. Yeah, I yeah. feel you. Like I'll go into Sheets, you know what I mean? Like the you know, grocery, not the uh, like a convenience store around here, and they okay. get cigarettes or like a drink or something like that, and they have you know a section that's all like you know alcohol, and yeah. it's in there, and it's the beers and all that kind of the grab and goes, the sixteen ounce and twenty four ounce cannons. And I'm always just thinking to myself, damn, like, I'm so fucking lucky that I can look at that and be like, nah, I don't, you know, I'm good. want that. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. sometimes I see, like, a twisted tea, and I'm like, that would taste good in the summertime. And then I'm like, but I don't know how to stop. Yeah. You know, I don't know how. I There's no, you know, like we talked about before with more. I don't know how to stop, man. Once I start, like, I can go a while once I get some momentum with stopping, you know. Yeah. And I went 13 months without a sip of alcohol. And good then, you, um when I quit, when I quit pills, I went into rehab and I went AA and all that. And I was really heavy into that. And then AA stopped me asking me to come because I was talking about cannabis in a positive way because I use cannabis in my recovery. Okay. And so they were just like, no, we don't want you to talk about it. Um, like, and you can't say alcohol. You have Fuck. to say, you can't say pills. You have to say alcohol. I'm like, I used to drive two what hours. Is that? I used to drive two hours to Jersey to get pills and then back again. Like, each way, yeah. two hours. And so, like, I was like, you want me to sit here in a fucking meeting and talk about how I used to drive two hours to get alcohol because there was no alcohol locally? And no, I didn't know anybody with alcohol? That's stupid. That's so like, stupid. I'm going to yeah. sound so insincere in my shares. Exactly. So, eventually, they, you know, I was L.A., they were all about it. They were very liberal about it. They were like, yeah, man, talk about whatever. Just be here. We don't care. And then mm-hmm. in conservative PA, they are like, yeah, we don't want you to, like, brag about that. I'm like, I'm not fucking bragging. I'm just talking. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I'm being real saying what works for me. Yeah. Yeah. So at 13 months, I drank again, you know, after they asked me to stop coming. And I didn't like alcoholically drink. 
like my recovery date to me, if someone asked me, is still 425.18 from pills because that was when maybe unmanageable. Yeah. And then I drank here and there, you know, pool parties, fucking dinners here and there, you know, for nine months. And it was like here and there. Never a bad thing. I never got a DUI, never got in trouble, whatever. Um, and then I woke up hungover on leap day of 2020. And I said to my wife, like, I'm done. I don't want to be hungover. Like, I drank a bottle of Jack last night. I shouldn't have drank a bottle of Jack last night. I'm done with alcohol again. And she was like, oh, I have a final chance to, I, oh, I can quit. Because she was an alcoholic, a real alcoholic. Okay. So we quit together. And yesterday was 18 months without a drop of alcohol. So oh, yeah, man. Congratulations yeah. to both Thanks. of you. Seriously. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking impressive. Right now I'm working on cutting out cannabis. Okay. Because I started noticing that, like, I overeat. You know uh, what I mean? And I yeah. have a, my pancreas, I don't know about you, my pancreas is double the size right now because of my addiction. Oh, I'm sure um, mine's jacked yeah, up. Yeah, I have pancreatitis all the time. Like, last night I was up until 4 a.m. in searing pain um, because of my pancreas is double the size from 20 years of drinking and 10 years of pills. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, you know I've been clean and sober for a while. It's still, like, shit creeps up, you know. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah. So, I'm afraid that, like, if I use cannabis, it helps me to sleep through it, but also I'll wake up and I'll fucking eat, which makes the pancreas worse. Worse. So now I'm just like, well, I'm just going to do, like, a tolerance break for, like, 30 days and then see how that works with my pancreas and all that shit. Because, like, I don't – I cannabis makes me think better. Like, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I, I think clear. I don't smoke it. Like, I don't – because I was addicted to instant. Instant and more. Yep. I, you know, like the sniffing and I chugged. There was no like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll just pop the pill and wait 45 minutes. No, I need it oh. now. Um, so when I when I went to cannabis, I wanted to change our relationship with cannabis. You know, so I, I don't like to smoke. I like to use edibles, you know, the little capsules even. And I just pop one with my blood pressure. And then like within a couple hours, I start to feel it. And it doesn't make me feel like high, high, but it makes me like think clearer. And I'm a less angry person. Get I, it. you know, I have a fucking temper, you know, yeah. but it never comes out because I'm, you know, always medicated. But the last few days, it's definitely, you know, it's been an adjustment for my wife to get used to like what my temper can be, not towards her, you know, but I'm just a, in general. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost got into a fight with somebody outside of our meeting center the other day because we are next to a bar. We are oh, wow. next to a bar, and people come out there, and, you know, they'll smoke outside of our meeting Both center. Outside, yeah. And I'll fuck with them. You know, I'll be like, oh, you're here for a meeting? And I'll be like a Jehovah's Witness and, like, just bother the shit out of them about, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're coming to get sober? Oh, um, yeah. But I went to go walk out the door, and we white out our doors with paint so people can't see in to see who's in there. And okay. I went to go open the door, and I hit some kid in the back. We're in a college town. And so I hit a kid in the back with the door and i was like my bad dude but you're right in front of my door could you move and he just yeah. like stared at me so then like i smoked a cigarette out front of the building and we're, like our door is like in like a cubby kind of thing like an you know so yeah. i walked back over to the door and he's still standing right in front of it and i'm like hey man could you like not be right in front of our door we're open for business like i i can't you're not you're yeah you're, you're not helping me out here man he's yeah. like i don't give a shit i was like okay well i do because yeah. people are trying to walk in and out, and you're blocking us. I'm not fucking blocking it. I said, you are, because you're standing right here. He goes, all right, well, then move me. I said, I'm asking you politely to fucking move, dude, because I don't want to walk out of here again and hit you with the door again. 
And he looked at me like he wanted to hit me because I I was, like, basically threatening him to hit him with the door, you know? And I was like, listen, it's not even me that I give a shit about. It's not you that I give a shit about. My wife has MS, and she has a fucking cane. And if she tries to walk out this door and she hits you in the fucking back and she fucking falls backwards and gets hurt because you don't want to fucking move, then we're going to have some big fucking problems, bro. And that's when he was like, well, I didn't know she was handicapped. I was like, it shouldn't fucking matter. It shouldn't matter. No. It's a business. You're not standing in front of the restaurant doors where people are walking in and out of. What's the difference? He's like, don't worry. I'm not coming back here ever again. I said, good, dude. See it. Exactly. Like, get the fuck out of here. So, like, you know, I could definitely feel, and I was high, not high, but like, I was medicated that day. Yeah. And it was still like, thank God it wasn't today. I don't, <laughs> if it was today. Oh, for was, sure, man. <laughs> like, you know. I would have had you all jacked up. <laughs> um. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So we're getting off track a little bit. It's all right. That's the whole point of this. All right. So now let me see where we're at. We are. You're waiting for your sentence now. Yeah. Now your dog goes to your mom's. Exactly. You get sentenced to like six, nine months. Yeah, um, I, I think 10 months total, like I said, like three in, seven on house arrest. Okay, and then when did, I I don't think that you've been sober since 2012, no offense. I'm pretty sure no, you started getting no. high again. Yup, yeah, like, so I, not getting high, Um, I ended up, dude, drinking. So I basically... I stopped getting high, but then I started telling myself, well, I can drink. Like, <laughs> I'll be okay if I drink. Like, and there was a bar. It was, and I'll always remember it. It was 5,100. It was a mile from my house. So I'd go to this bar, hang out there, got, like, involved in a dart league. Not because I played darts, but because it was a reason to go to the bar. It was like, all right. Um, so I was drinking well waiting for sentencing while doing outpatient um, and just couldn't, I could get like a few days tops. Like it would be like, Oh, I have two days sober. I have, you know, three days sober. Um, And eventually ended up going to jail just kind of like that. Like it was like, okay, I think I hadn't had a drink maybe for 24 hours and went to jail. Um, And that was my first time in. So then that three months in jail, um got sober that was that was how I did it initially um and then out oh, of jail I I did well on the bracelet man um that was one thing I can give myself credit for I I didn't have any issues I actually got myself set up for grad school even while I was on the bracelet to go for community counseling so and for those who don't know the bracelet is your house arrest bracelet yeah exactly yep thank you yeah so, so did well with that, got off of it, but right when I got off of it, it was like, I had, so I had met this girl, um, well in recovery and she was, she liked to smoke, just liked to party was kind of like, I'm here because I got in a car accident. Don't really want to be here. And I was like, okay, well, you're good looking. I'm now divorced like this will work out. So we started going out for a little while, um, you know, we'd go out, drink, get all sorts of drunk and stupid, go back, hook up. And that was the relationship I had with her. Then one night I decided, oh, I should, dude, I should really preface this. So I'm bipolar. um, And I didn't know that, like, 
I didn't wait, find bipolar, you weren't medicated. Yeah, you were, but you were bipolar no. and not medicated. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. so that's a huge difference. Yes, yes. Okay. So I had no idea. Like I, th I thought I suffered from like depression all my life, but never really recognized the manic highs. Like everyone thought I was just the fun guy. Like oh, like when he goes out, he goes out. Like not realizing some of these were like myths of manic episodes. What was so, the stressor? Cause like, um, you, cause like I was engaged to somebody, she was bipolar and schizophrenic and I know, and my current wife, she's by, I, I have a fucking thing for bipolar. Um, yeah. but my wife's bipolar and there's always a stressor. Yeah. You know, so. In my life, it was really, I think the stress I put on myself, like, okay. especially having like the failed career. Um, and then just like, I put so much stress on myself to do recovery perfect. Like, it was like, I just like, I wanted to be a student of recovery. It was like everything that my counselor told me I did. And it was like, I just looked at it like almost like school. I'm like, well, if I do this, I do this step, I do this, I work through the steps. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna like excel in recovery. Um, and it was such a shitty way to kind of approach it because I wasn't all in and without being all in you're basically you're not going to make it happen for yourself so you have so to really your ego not inflate your ego exactly <laughs> thank you exactly yeah that's exactly it so one one night I'm I'm super manic I haven't slept in like a day and a half almost two days and it's like not quite midnight I already took my whatever I was taking to sleep at the time. I don't know if it was like Lunesta. It was something. Um, and it wasn't working. So I went out to the garage, was working on some project that I hadn't touched in like who knows how many months. Just like a total like bipolar thing. Like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm going to pick this up, do this in the moment. Like. And that just wasn't getting it done. So I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna go to the bar. Um, and I remember that night because they were running a Long Island special. So I got to the bar, yeah, dude, exactly. Oh, yeah. LITs were like so dangerous for me because you could just suck them down so quickly. Yep. And if you're friends with a the bartender, they're gonna be heavy handed too with the pours. Yeah, and I'm in Wisconsin too, so straight up, it's heavy handed to begin with. Yeah, and then after that, it was like, yeah. So I get to the bar around midnight, you know, talk to some of the locals that I knew from being in there from time to time, and basically just started downing Long Islands. Like, I know how I'm gonna sleep tonight. I'm gonna take as many Long Islands down as I can before bar close. I think in my book I wrote, I had six, I don't know. I probably had like six to eight in two hours. Like who knows? Like, you know, you lose track. You don't, you don't count. You're just like, okay, I'm here. It's a concept. Like, and I was just giving it like, this is, it's full go. Let's see how many we can get in. And um, after that, I drove home on my way home. I crashed my car coming into my neighborhood hit a curb, um, tried to drive off the curb, realized like the front clip by the tire was all fucked up. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be able to drive this. Got out, kind of was like, okay, I gotta collect my shit. Now walk home, was like, oh, I'm gonna take a piss on this guy's grass first. Decided to go on the side of his house, piss, then I threw up. Um, I think, I don't know if I made myself throw up or if I just threw up, who, 
who knows. Um, wandering back to my car was like, oh, I'm going to throw up again. Leaned up against a car in the driveway, set off a car alarm. So at that point in time, and I'm on probation. Um, I should say that too, from being under house arrest um, with the misdemeanor charges, I had three years probation. That's part of like, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm on paper and set off this dude's car alarm and I'm like drunken, stupid, like, oh shit, I got to hide. Like, fuck. So I hop into this other car that's parked in the neighbor's driveway, just get in there, try to like hunker down. I hear this guy come outside. He's swearing like, what the fuck you fucking kids? I'm going to fucking kill you. All this shit. Um, He's got a flashlight. He's walking around looking at his car. I'm trying to like hunker down in the seat. I'm six feet, 220. Like here I am trying to like get small. Not going to happen. Um, was it a, duty, kind of, was it a mag light? Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I could, I could oh, yeah. just imagine a big mag light in his hand. Like, oh, giant. Out. Like one of the big D cell ones. Yeah, so dude sees me, comes over to the car, starts swearing at me, knows his neighbors, is like, get the fuck out of their car. And I'm like, no, man, I'm your neighbor. I live, and I, I was his neighbor. I live just up the street, but he's not having it. As I get out of the car, he said I lunged at him. I'm pretty sure I just took a drunken stumble. Um, and he proceeded to hit me with the mag light. So I got cracked um, anywhere from three to four times with one of those big mag lights, uh, fractured my skull in three different places. Uh, this whole left side of my face is all titanium now. They had to wait, rebuild that. Wait, start that over again. Okay. The, the lips called off at the, at the worst oh. time for that. Okay. 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 So the guy comes out, he hit you, start, start from he hit you three times. Yeah, he hit me three times, basically as hard as he could with the mag light. Um, Got a hand up one of the times, but pretty much caught him all to the face. Um, ended up fracturing my skull in three different places. And like I said, the whole this whole side of my head is titanium now. Like I have three titanium plates that hold everything together. Um, so I got knocked out. And then the worst that, part is... Is that the brain well, injury that caused this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is. So, so basically, um, I'm, I'm out, I'm on the ground. And then in the police report, it says he hit me one last time as hard as he could in the back of the head. And I'm pretty sure that's the one that, uh, did all damage on top of it. Um, I don't Yeah, because it knocks, it. You, it knocks yeah. everything like fucking yeah. out of whack. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like jarring your brain this way six times and then one last yep. and then yeah man yeah Holy shit so that's 2013 yeah that's 2013 okay so so i ended up well police come i end up getting a disorderly conduct and then at first they tried to say i was trying to steal the vehicle that i got in well my lawyer got that tossed right away he's like dude he wasn't trying to steal a vehicle he was yeah, yeah. but disorderly conduct which wouldn't have been that big of a deal if I wasn't on probation. But on probation, I just broke a ton of rules, fucked up. And with my history, once again, they're not going to do me any favors. So you still I'm wearing the ankle bracelet too during this? No, no, no. I'm oh, off okay. the bracelet. Okay. So I successfully completed the bracelet. <laughs> and it was it was weeks before I, I, this happened. Um, 
So basically, I go to the hospital. They take me to the first hospital. I'm there for maybe three, four hours. And they did an MRI and they realized that brain error, error had gotten to my brain. Um, so now they're concerned about that. Um, so then they took me to a different hospital that was better suited to basically deal with my condition. Um, I had two surgeries, the one to put all the plates in and then another one to expel the air from my brain. Um, and they had to do something else with my mouth at that time too, because I like had fractured my skull so bad that I broke the roof of my mouth is really what it came down to. Um, that's why I, sometimes I talk a little funnier, have a hard time, like I'll get caught up on words. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, that makes sense too, because I mean, your whole entire like face and your head was just like jarring that like, like, and, oh, yeah. and for anyone who's ever held a mag light, like that's like, that that's gonna do damage. Oh, that, for sure. I mean, without a doubt, that's the reason why cops carry them, is so that you can do damage. When let's be real, like there's yeah. small little flashlights that do plenty of great lighting up, but those mag lights can do damage too. Yeah. Like I remember when especially I was especially the big boys. Yeah, when I was delivering pizza back in the day, you know, in high school, I would always carry one with me just in case because delivering at night. And you know, I lived in you know an area that sometimes like I was right outside of Camden, New Jersey. And, you know, Camden has a lot of, you know, issues, with, you know, crime and always yeah. has. So, like, you know, sometimes I'd be nervous or go into like a shady motel or, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, the mag lights in my back of my jeans, just in case, like someone's going to pull some shit because you'd never know what you're going to come across when you're delivering pizza, especially in 2003, you know, oh, when yeah. cell phones weren't even really a thing. And, you know, you know, people don't know where the fuck you were at all times like they do today. Exactly. Like now everybody has my location on my phone at all on their phones. And you know, my parents, my wife, they can see where I'm at at any time of the day, you know, yep. which is here at the meeting yeah. center. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here fucking 12, 13 hours a day. Um, so you get all those surgeries now. And does that get you to like stop drinking? Well, so so basically I get the surgeries and I'm recovering in the hospital. I was in the hospital for two days um, before they came and got me. And this is from a traumatic brain injury. So like my, I remember my goal was to be able to get up, walk, you know, that short distance to a hospital bathroom because they're in the same room yeah, yeah, yeah. and use the bathroom by myself. That was my goal that day. And that's the same day the sheriffs came and picked me up and took me to jail. So I went right from the hospital, from the TBI to jail. Once I got to jail, they said I wasn't fit for general population, um, but they didn't have a medical wing. So they put me in SEG, which is, I mean, it's the same as their solitary confinement there. So I spent the next seven days um, in SEG. I was allowed to make one phone call a day, um, and that was it. Your dog went back with your mom again? Yeah, dog went back with my mom. Um, and Sorry, I'm a dog lover too. Yeah, so I'm no, no, no. I'm always going to yeah, keep, yeah. Like, keep yeah, her in the was, story for me because yeah, like, it's important yeah, to me. Yeah, as soon as uh, basically my, my mom and little brother got word, they came, picked up the dog, got her taken care of. Um, and here I am, man, trying to recovery from a, recover from a TBI back in jail. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what uh, got me sober, uh, got me clean. 
because I was like, shit, I not only could I have died, I mean, it was also, it was one of those things to be that far out of control and not even, not even know, like, I mean, I knew like, okay, I knew I was going out and I knew I wanted to drink, but like not to be, almost to feel like a passenger on board in your own body is where I was at between the mania and the, you know, using alcohol. Like I, I just felt like I'm, I'm not, I'm not the one driving this thing anymore. Yeah. So now, yeah. Um, how, so your stay for this one for, you know, the breaking into cars and whatever yeah. it was, was that set? That was a seven day. Um, no, say- no, that was a long time. Um, it was seven days in SAG and then, well, because I ended up getting revoked off probation. So the whole time that they were working through that, I was in. Um, so I had to, while I was in jail, and I wrote about this in my book, I had to reteach myself how to write. Um, that was one of the functions I lost. I had aphasia at the time. So I would get stuck on words. Um, when I was, um, aphasia is essentially a lot of stroke patients get it. Like, as you're trying to talk, you like, you can see the word in your head, but you can't articulate it. Like, it won't come out. You just get stuck. Um, That was one of the big things that I had to work through. That, learning to rewrite, um, and and pretty much I did all my own JLPT, um, just like I did almost, you know, when you're a kindergartner, first grader, how you trace letters. I would sit there in magazines with the little shorty golf pencils and trace letters mm-hmm. and try to just teach myself like, okay, so that I could fill out a jail request slip. Like that was one of the first things I was like so proud of myself. I was able to do was not have to have someone else fill out my request slip for me. Yeah. Um, sign now, my name, things like that. Um, this, this is 2013. How long did you have to stay in for? Uh, that time I was in, I believe, about seven months. Okay. So. And have you and been that, have you been clean and sober since then? Yeah, I have. Okay, congrats on that, man. That's, Thank you, man. You know, eight, yeah. you're about, are you about to hit eight years then? Yeah, I'm I'm creeping up on eight years. Do you so. do you go to meetings? Were you going to meetings in jail too? Because I know like that people bring meetings into jail all the time. So I wasn't. Sure. Are you were you hitting meetings in jail? So we didn't have meetings in jail. The You could see the chaplain. That was the only thing you could, like, that was the closest to a meeting. So okay. I'd see the chaplain, talk to him. And fortunately, he had a little bit of AODA background. Like, I think it was either his wife or his daughter was an AODA counselor. Okay. So the guy would talk to me about, he'd be like, well, how are you doing in here? And for those that, yeah. that's alcohol use disorder, for those, like, that's yeah. a different way of saying alcoholic for people that don't want to call themselves alcoholic for yeah. those listening that don't know what AUD is. Um, um, we had a chaplain on a few weeks ago, um, actually, a jail chaplain. He's been a chaplain okay. for 32 years, and he's 32 years sober himself. Or oh, he's wow. been a chaplain 27 years for the jail, but he's been sober 32 years um down in tennessee and he wrote a book about you know trying to get your life back together while in jail and getting sober and getting back out there again he's supposed to be sending me a few copies um but yeah the dan baker episode that i posted a few weeks ago that that guy was a chaplain um so when you got out were you hitting meetings when you got out oh yeah um so hitting meetings and then i i went through an iop so um, intensive outpatient where I was 
the same place that I initially tried to get sober, I went back to, but this time with a completely different mindset. Like, yeah. yeah, and pretty much ready. Like, I want this. This is what I'm focused on now, like more than anything. Help me get this, you yeah. know? I'm really curious. I'm going to cut ahead about three years, two years. Yeah, that's fine. All Go right. for it. What happened? When, with the painting yeah is that, you, okay yeah, you knew Dude, I, was gonna... yeah, oh, I know yeah i was waiting for that so so while i worked for capitol police and this was actually like probably the most harmless thing i did at the time that turned to be the biggest fucking just shit show there was so i've at this time i've cleaned my life up i've met yeah. a girl well, yeah we're moving to arizona um to start a new life because I was sick, like, I was so sick of living where I'm seeing cops I used to work with, where I'm seeing places I used to use. I'm like, dude, I need a change in latitude badly. Like, this needs to happen. And she got an internship working for ASU Strength and Conditioning. So it just made sense. It was like, all right, this is perfect. I don't want to lose you. Like, girl's a rock star. I ended up marrying her. So... Um, yeah, and we just worked together. So I was like, yeah, let's go to Arizona. So moved to Arizona. I'm living there for about a month and a half, two months. And I get a call frantic one day from my mom. Just she's flipping the fuck out. And she was watching the Today Show. And apparently across the bottom, it scrolled ex-Capitol police officers steals $100,000 painting. And she, with the ex-Capitol Police and or in Wisconsin or whatever, she had assumed, she's like, well, is this my son? Like, and she asked me about it. And I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I hadn't thought about this painting for years. It had been like four or five years. So yeah, and they're saying a hundred thousand dollar pain. And you're like, I never yeah. sold shit for a hundred thousand yeah, dollars. Dude, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. I'm me. like, no, Somebody I'm else. like, I would have, I would have known that like a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, yeah, that would have registered on my radar. So essentially what happened with this whole painting thing while I worked there, they're transitioning governors. The one governor had been there for, I think eight years and Wisconsin elected a new governor. So he's moving out of the executive residence. While he's moving out, he's like, he's purging promotional stuff, t-shirts, posters, pretty much everything that he had picked up during these eight years. He's telling staff, okay, here's boxes. All this stuff's going to be downstairs for goodwill. If you're going to take anything, it's fine. You just need to sign this sheet saying, here's my name. Here's what I took. So... I waited about a week, went down, checked all this stuff out, took like a promotional mug. I think it was like a pocket knife. And then this painting was sitting in like a stack of like posters and other shit. And the painting was only like 12 by 16. So it wasn't very big. And I liked it. Um, so my mom, I should say, was a retired art teacher. So like I liked this painting because of the frame. It had like this really cool gold ornate frame. So I'm like, shit, I'm going to pick this up and re like pop this ugly picture out of it and use the frame that's so and that's literally the last I had even thought about that painting like I brought it home I think it sat in my closet for like a month or two and then I went to go like repurpose it and I saw it had a gallery stamp on the back so at that time what I should have done is contacted 
basically contacted the executive president and say, hey, I took this painting two months ago, saw it had a gallery stamp, it might be worth something. Instead, I hopped online, looked it up, found out it was worth maybe $2,000. So I sold it online for like 1200 bucks and turned, burned it. Like I said, that was like four, five years before any of this comes up. Well, so now while I'm living in Arizona, they that without, was 2011. Yeah, exactly. Took, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was yet. no, and I was sober at the time too. This was before I even started using. So I was like, "This is crazy!" Like, there's no way that I see. First of all, there's no way I stole a hundred thousand dollar painting. Second of all, like, there's this is absolutely insane. No one even talked to me about it. It was just like I saw this shit on the news. It's almost like you know, if you're a player on a team and you get traded before yeah. you even know you, you're like, "What is this?" Yeah. So which happens. To, people do yeah. like you've heard of you hear of athletes going like I found out on Twitter I was traded. Exactly. So <laughs> so I found out through a phone call in the Today show that, you know, I was likely going to get charged with this. So talked to an attorney, had to fly back from Arizona for every single like conference, things like that, because they wouldn't just let me like teleconference in. They're like, no, we want this guy back here. So did that. Um, eventually they decided that the painting was worth around $5,000, which was what it needed to be, to be a felony as opposed to a misdemeanor. Yeah. So we're Yeah. So they said they were going to press and try to get the full, basically like the full sentence they could, which was 21 years. So I'm looking at 21 years for a, opposed $100,000 painting, which we know is not worth that. Or they said I could take a plea deal, but the plea deal included taking a felony. So I ended up taking the plea deal, not rolling the dice, and took the felony. Um, That came with three more, no, four years of probation too. So so now I'm like, okay, I'm going to be on paper for another four years. I forget how much time I had to serve It was around six to nine months again, something like that. But I was able to do it once again on house arrest. So successfully, well, had to move back from Arizona to Wisconsin because one of the caveats in my deal was I served my time in this county, in Dane County. So I had to move back, um, move back, did my time, and then essentially ended up doing the four years on probation successfully. So just like staying with your mom or getting your own place or um, staying with, well, my wife now. Oh, like, she came back yeah. with you too. Yeah. She came back. Yeah. That's awesome of her to like, be like, you yeah. know, what, I'll come back with you and you know. Yeah. Well, I think she saw how everything went down and like, basically we both looked at it. Like oh, the DA was, he was salty that the first time through he didn't hit me with a felony so when he got the chance it was, was like that shit. oh yeah he was rolling with it and was yeah. like dude this guy is gonna get jammed up so yeah because that it's almost like they want to put you in the system it's like yeah. they want to you know make like you said make an example out of you as opposed to just like like you're you're fucking you're like three years clean and sober at this point and living your life and trying to do all the right things and they're like yeah we're gonna put you back in the system anyway though and 
kind of hope that you fuck up and you know what I mean? Like, and oh, yeah. setting you up for failure. And that's exactly how it felt. And it was like, all right. So it, it literally part of me, JD felt like everything that I had done to that point didn't matter. Like it was so hard just trying to like cling to the good because being forced to come back and in like see all the same shit that I had just left. Like I, w- I felt like, okay, I can finally breathe again. I got this weight off my shoulders. Then to come back right back into it all on something that's like four years old that I was like, man, it, I, it, yeah. I can't even imagine, bro. Like I, I've been, you know, cleaning away from my shit for three years and I can't imagine if something popped up from my past. Like I get the payday loan phone calls all the time. You know, like I did okay, a lot of, yeah. I did a lot of payday loan scams where, you know, I would, they don't talk to each other and you know most people they plan on paying back the payday loan people so they only get one payday loan but i knew as soon as you put in their request you get flooded with phone calls from all these different companies so i was just saying yes 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 to every single one of them and just getting loaded with three grand like 300 dollars a pop and then i would shut down my account and then i always did them when i knew i was losing my job Okay. Like the first time it happened, I was work, working, I think, at H.H. Gregg, like the retailer for like electronics. I had quit yeah. Best Buy. I worked at Best Buy for like a decade on and off. I had quit there at one point to work at H.H. Gregg, their competitor, because they were commissioned. And I felt like, you know, my ego was huge. And I'm like, oh, I could fucking make a killing doing this shit. And but of course, like I'm getting high every morning, you know, yeah. and I'm getting high during work. And like there was one point that I sniffed four thirties and then I walked into the building minutes later. And right when I walked in, I'm, like, pouring sweat, obviously. And manager like, hey, you want to go for a ride with me? I'm like, yeah, man, I'll get out of here. And as soon as we start driving, goes, by the way, I'm taking you for a drug test because you're definitely high. Oh, fuck. And I was like, well, okay, but I'm not. But sure, I'll pass this with no problem. You know, just being confident. Oh, yeah. Did the drug test, and then I knew it was a five-day wait, you know, and I knew I was going to be fired by Friday. This was Monday. Oh, yeah. So by Tuesday, I was doing the payday loans. And then when they called to verify that I had employment, the answer was yes, he yes. is employed. So they gave me the money and then I would take the money out, you know, and close the bank account. And then when they went to go get the money from me, because I knew I would get my last check in the mail, um, I just claimed, sorry, but I lost my job. Yep. You can't come after me for the money. I lost my job. And so when I worked at a bank, did the same shit. When I was doing something else, I forget what I was doing. I think it was pest control. I did the same shit. And I did it like three different times at like three, four grand a pop. And but they still call me, you know, seven, eight years later, they're still hit me, hit me up for money. And they always leave the same message. They're always like, if you don't call us back by five o'clock, we're going to be sending out a warrant for your arrest. I'm like, motherfucker, I've been arrested. No one warns you. You don't get a no. phone call. No, you don't. Oh, you don't no. Hey, we're coming with the warrant. If you don't call us back, like you don't. No. That is not how it works. They show up at your door. And they don't want to give you any time. They don't want to give you ads up, and then they take you away. Exactly. Like, like, you know, yeah, that's exactly how it happens. My worst arrest, I had a 45-minute ride back to the police station, cuffed in the back. You know, they did not give me any kind of favors. You know, I was, and I'm a big dude, like, hands behind my back the entire time for 45 minutes doing that drive. And um, the only thing good about that drive was it gave my dad time to pick up my grandmom who was going to post bail before I had to go, go in the county. Okay. Like while I was doing the processing, they had time to hit the banking. She had just sold her shore house. So she had oh, a little wow. bit of money. You was able to like post bail for me. But that was 
you know, I was high on Xanax, and when I did when I did Xanax, I stole. I don't rem- I don't ever remember stealing anything from this house particular. I used to house sit for my old manager, and this one time I was really high on Xanax, and I was a I was a good criminal, you know, like I knew yeah. how to beat the systems. Obviously, my payday loans, like I knew how to beat the systems, and I knew how to think like you, you know. Yeah. Oh and yeah. I would always go to pawn shops. Five towns over, nowhere near anything if I was going to do something shady. But Xanax, fuck no. Fuck I stole yeah. the shit and went right to the closest pawn shop. So obviously, it wasn't hard for them to find me. You know, all they do is go to the closest one. Yeah, here's his ID. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, he was just in here. And here's what I he got, found. I got yeah. lucky because that was $4,300. Okay. I got like fucking 700 you know, I didn't get yeah. forty. Oh no, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. got like maybe five, seven hundred bucks. I think there was a cell phone in there too that, like, we worked at Best Buy. So when he was a manager, they got promotional shit. Like, here, take this free iPhone or whatever. Take this free, you know, Android. And I, I took one of them. Um, but yeah, man, like, you know, it was like forty-two and change. So it was still a misdemeanor. So I got lucky with that one for sure. Gotcha. I d- ended up getting um six months pro- a year probation. And I ended up doing six months of probation and getting off early because I did my community service so fast. And I um, I wasn't drug tested because it was a theft and not a theft with drugs. So they weren't drug testing me. So they were like, we don't need you to keep coming back because you're done your community service and you paid your restitution. And that's basically why we have you come monthly is just to make sure you do your community service and pay your restitution. Yeah. If you're not doing drug tests. We're going to get it expelled. I said, OK. So they got it expelled, and I was on drugs the entire time I was going to probation because I had my scripts. Yeah, you know, exactly. I quit smoking weed during that time in case they gave me a test. But if they ever gave me a test and I pop for Oxy or pop for Xanax, here's my script. You had your script, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's how fucked up our system is, man. That like, I, my, one of my best friends, he got bad on pills because he got probation for weed. <laughs> you know, you get probation for weed for five years. You transition. Yeah, you have to find yeah. something. He was in a horrible car accident. You know, he needed something for his pain. And then he turned to Oxy, like, just like we all did. We were all doing exactly. 30s together, man. Like, that was, you know, what we did. And I've lost so many best friends to either still an addiction or, you know, they don't want to be a part of recovery or, you know, they fucking die. Yeah, exactly. So many people died. Still dying. Like, it is not getting any better out there. Um, that's the good. Do you still go to meetings? I do, yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah, see people still, early on in there? Um, it's sometimes. It's like the meeting I go to is pretty well established, and it's early. So I feel like uh, sometimes what we'll see is like someone who has just had a night of drinking and is just coming off of that and comes to a meeting. See, I'll see a bit of that, but aside I from do, that, it's... I just had a guy on from so your much. area, actually, Dan. He's four years sober. Um, he was on an episode a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, I'll have guy. to check that out. But yeah, he's from Madison, I think, or he's definitely yeah, from Wisconsin. Okay, if he's so, from Madison, I might recognize yeah, him. He, so, and yeah, he he was definitely he was going to meetings with a bunch of old heads, and he okay. talked about some guy named Brooklyn Bob. About wow. that was that one of his, it was like an old head, like people in their eighties were going to his meetings, you know. Oh like, shit, had, okay. Like, Forty years of sobriety and shit. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, check that one out. You know, it was like I will a, for yeah, sure, just because you know your area. Um, but we got off track again. Let me catch up again where we are. All right. So now you do what? How much time do you end up getting for that painting? Shit. Um, oh, no, I you think, said you did house yeah, arrest. 
Yeah, yeah. I did the house arrest. I mean, the biggest thing was taking the felony charge and then the four years paper on top of it was, yeah, that's that's really what they tried to hit me with. And I'm sure at the time the DA thought, oh, he's going to fuck this up. Like, there's no way he's making through four years of paper. Um, and that's why they gave me it. Uh, but I was I was determined. I'm like, I'm I've changed my life. I'm like, I'm going to prove you fuckers wrong is really how I looked at it. Like, that was it. And now when so, you know, I'm going to also mention this in my intro that, you know, you, yeah. you wrote a book. Yeah. Um. So when did you start writing your book and what's your book called for the listeners? So my book's called My Life with Karma. Um. I started it's a recovery memoir and I started writing it about two years ago. And with my head injury, it's hard um, because I've lost short term memory. So, for example, I'll remember I talked to you today. I will have no idea what we talked about. Um, it just doesn't it doesn't encode anymore. So when I'm writing, I can only write about two to three sentences at a time. Then I have to go back, reread what I just wrote, try to recall that and then add on to it. So it takes I was writing about a thousand to two thousand words a week. Like, but I had to do that consistently for almost a year and a half to build the book. Yeah. And now what is what is your book is basically about your life then? It is, yeah. So it's got um thirty-two or thirty-three different stories from my life. Um, all through basically recovery. I wrote about when I detoxed at home, um, which was made for an interesting chapter. Uh, just being real about that and saying, okay, this is what detox actually feels like, as opposed to what a lot of people think. Yeah, um, yeah, man. Like and the just, movies do a good job, but not exactly. No, not exactly. Like they, you know, they know how to. They know how we keel over. They know how we yeah. hold our stomach. But yeah. you know, the only movie that I've seen that's so close that's Requiem for a Dream. Yes. You know, when they're withdrawn, and we talk about train spotting. You know, yes. th those were two movies that, you know, could really, really put a polarized look at what addiction was like. That's true. You know, and like Requiem still scares the shit out of me. I still think that's why I didn't want to do heroin. One of the reasons because of his arm when he got that no shit, shit cut off. Like, you know, and it's <sighs> people don't understand. They see that and they think that's all of us, you know, and inside that is all of us. You know, oh, yeah. we all feel that way of just like an empty shell of a person. But, you know, we, we all can recover. You know, a lot of us do recover. And, you know, the, the hashtags, recovery is possible, we do recover. Those are popular because it's the fucking truth. It's the you know, thank you. Like, yeah. We have to just want to be recovered in, in recovery more than we want to be high. That's exactly it. And, yeah. it, like, for me, too, it was all about, for example, like, karma my dog that's what kept me sober for a time being it was all about finding that one thing outside of myself that i could focus on because your dog's name joking. was karma yeah yeah that's what i named her so oh okay yeah, so and that's my that's life where with karma yo is your dog yeah but exactly. also it works it's you know a double and whatever because it works on both yeah um is your dog still with you She's not, unfortunately. Um, she got cancer and passed away about two years ago. So it yeah. was sad because she was only, I had her for like six and a half. I mean, six and a half really good years. But um, one of the things that always has gotten me fucked up was that time I missed with her. You know what I mean? Like that time away. Like, I think anyone who's done any time can relate to that, whether it's from people, a dog, anything. It's just 
you know, those, those lost hours, those lost days that it was like, fuck man, I wish I could get those back. Yeah. But I mean, the cool thing is you gave that dog an amazing life for the last six and a half years of her life. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, cause yeah. like she probably would have been dead, dead way before then tied to a tree. Yeah. Especially with those harsh winters down. up there. Like you guys yeah. got some fucking bad winters up there. Like who knows if they kept her yeah. out there. Yeah. How oh, old was sure. she? How old was she when you got her? When you say it was her? hard to tell. Um, like they said, she was around one, okay. and it was hard to for the vets to like give her a birthday because they looked at her teeth. But being chained to a tree, like her teeth were like nubbed down because she was chewing at the chain. So they gave me the rough estimate of one years old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Still, that's amazing though, dude. Like that had a. It's a. It's a bittersweet thing. You know, especially with pets, like, I, I I had a bunch of Goldens growing up, and we had two die from cancer around five, six years old. Yeah. And it's a heartbreaking thing, but at the same time, like, you still, you gave them the life that they wanted, you know. Exactly. And, yeah, that dog isn't replaceable, that one dog, but the owner makes the dog, you know. Yeah. Like, you can get another dog and still be a great owner and have a great relationship with that dog. That's the really cool thing about fucking dogs and not people. You know, yeah, you, that's you, so can't, true. you can't do that with a person no. where you're like, all right, this person's out of my life, but I'm going to treat you like I treated that person and we're going to be the same kind of deal. It doesn't work. But with dogs, no. they will gravitate to that kind of personality and be that dog that you kind of want them to be when you're a good owner and a loving owner. Yeah. And so, the coolest thing, like you mentioned it, so you had a suicide attempt and well, many that were, you said like interrupted, right? By your dog. So I had an attempt, um, it was after the head injury and I'm with the current person I'm with now. Um, it, things got really bad. I was suffering from psychosis. Um, so I was hearing voices and I, to be real, man, I thought I lost it. I thought this is it. My, I, now I'm going to hear these voices the rest of my life. I can't cope. Um, so I got a tactical knife and I was going to stab myself between the second and third rib and just end it. Um, the only reason I didn't was karma at the time interrupted me. Like I'm literally sitting there looking up online where I need to stab, trying to like mark it out. I've got some hesitation cuts and she's like, dad, I got to go outside. And it was the same thing. Like you said, she was too good of a dog to go inside in the house. So she's like nudging me, like just anything she can do to get my attention. No, no. So it, it, it gave me pause long enough that I took her outside, was able to clear my head. I think I smoked a cigarette and I don't even smoke like, and just kind of, got my health back to a place where I was like, fuck, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want my wife to come home and find me like this. I mean, I don't want the dog to sit here. Like, you know, all those thoughts run through your head and it's like, nah, it just wasn't worth it. So it's funny. Um, you said pause. I just added this, you know, to my studio. Okay. The, um, you know, Oh yeah, um, definitely, man. One of, uh, one of our regulars and a board member here, they um they painted that, and I was like, I need that because like I have, you know, that right here on my wrist. The oh, okay. semicolon. Cool. And yeah. for those who don't, the semicolon. Do you know about that? 
I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll let you explain it, but go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So the semicolon movement started by a girl that was like, your, our story doesn't end. You know, that's where the pause, that's what you reminded me of. Could you pause for a second, just like a semicolon in a sentence? It means the story is not over. It's going to continue. Um, and it, it got a lot of traction. I mean, unfortunately, that girl that started it ended up committing suicide, um, which is a sad thing to you know think about. But still, she helped a lot of people, you know, oh, to sure. not want to do it and to have that constant reminder somewhere to look at it like all right the story's not over i can pause i can just sit in it for a second and plus like my first fiance did commit suicide oh shit um in 2015 bipolar schizophrenia you yeah, know so, so i mean that, <clears throat> thank you i i blame myself for a while you know and that's kind of why i kept spinning out i was blaming myself you know yeah. um which is kind of natural i mean plus everybody else was blaming me too even her family so i mean you know, I think they still do. I, you know, I try. I wanted to make amends. I've even tried to add one of her sisters on Facebook recently to like try to like, you know, if she would have accepted it, I would have sent a message, but she never yeah. did. So like, you know, it is what it is. You know, I can be the bad guy in their narrative. That's okay. Like that's yeah. how I live with it now. Like you're not always going to be the good guy in everybody's narrative. You know, and I can accept that now. Before it was hard to accept, but like I'm the good guy in a lot of people's narrative. You know, yeah. so if I have to be the bad guy in theirs to make them feel better, then so fucking be it. Because, like, I'm not here to change anybody's mind. I can't bring it back. Neither can they. Just live our lives. Yeah, know? that's exactly it, man. And that's how I approach writing the book, too. Like, I just wanted to be so transparent with it that it was like, okay, anyone could pick it up. And the the minimum I wanted people to say was this guy's real. Like, this guy isn't afraid to share whatever um, he's just going to come straight at it. Because if you don't, I feel like so often in addiction, we see people that are just full of shit, like really just straight up. And they're, they're not willing to t- like, not, I don't want to say tell you that, but they're, they're just not willing to share like an authentic self with you. And I feel like until you do that, you're never going to improve your authentic self. Like you're just going to stay stuck in that addict mindset, the same shit. Because you're lying to yourself. Yeah. And and when I wrote the book, anytime I caught myself where I'm like, oh, I'm ducking away from this. Or I, instead, I would lean into it even heavier because I'm like, fuck it, dude. This is what I have to do to get this story out there. Like, I can't I can't shy away. So I like that's that what said, I did. I like that you said lean into it because like that's what I'm all about is like you have to lean into shit. You have to just double down. And just like, because you're not gonna be able to change anything. Like I talked about it before, I I maybe here, I don't know, or in person with somebody recently, I definitely talked about it recently. Um, But the the first time I got tricked into smoking PCP, you know, wet, you know, I had a horrible trip. And then the second time I got tricked into was at a concert. And I, he told me after, that's what happens. People, yeah. you oh, hit yeah. it, and After. then they go, oh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> that's wet. Um, so the second time it happened was at a Blink-182 concert, and dude told me, I should have known, it was a fucking Gatorade bottle I was smoking out of. Um, and I did it, and he was like, by the way, um, yeah, you're going to trip. And I'm like, fuck. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to lean into it. It's already happened. I, I'm not going to be mad at him. I was going to have a horrible trip. And exactly. I, it was like raining and shit. So I left my phone. All I brought in the concert was my cigarettes and a concert ticket. And I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to lean into it. And I had, I had a great time at the concert. I didn't, I'm not a 
okay with, you know, what happened. Yeah. But I couldn't change it. Exactly. I couldn't undo me hitting that and inhaling. So what you have to do is just lean into it and just accept it and just move on. Because yeah. what's happened has happened. Exactly. And it's the same thing for anything in life. You know, whatever happens, I can't make it not happen again. Like, I can try to do steps that is going to prevent it from happening in the future, but I can't change what's happened already. Yeah. You, you need to accept it. And the longer you take to dwell on it, you take to dwell on it. But don't punish yourself for dwelling on it. Yeah. You know, I see people all the time. They're like, oh, I spent all day today, you know, just looking like looking at my phone in bed and I didn't do anything. I'm like, all right, that's fine. You did what you did. Put it behind you. Because if you dwell on the fact that you were dwelling all day, then you're still in the shit of it. You know, exactly. Like, you have yep. to like, you know, get yourself out of that because there's nobody's going to help you get out of that. No, not unfortunately. At all. And that's that's why mental health is such like an important thing to talk about. So you can feel comfortable to talk to other people whenever you are in that kind of like mindset of like how you felt like that you were spinning out. Like now, I'm sure if you felt that way, you would say, you know, hey, wife, like, can we talk? like yeah yeah i mean now like it's it's too like now i've got like a safety plan like and if i put too many checks in too many boxes i mean we've we've got the understanding in my house that okay i this is when i need to go to the hospital like and hopefully with my medication doing counseling talking to a psychiatrist i don't get to that point but if i do there's a plan now where in the past it was just whatever my best thinking was at the time and it's like, fuck, we see where that's gotten me. So yeah. let's leave it up to that. Um, and and that, you're that in the program, the too. Things. So that gives yeah. you some support, too. You know, Oh, for sure. Like you have a sponsor and everything that you talk to or sponsees. So I have one sponsee right now. Um, and I had a sponsor. Unfortunately, he uh, relapsed about a year ago, a little more than a year ago now. And I'm not... I'm really not sure where dude's at to be completely real with you. So yeah, and it, like at least having a sponsee, you have that like relationship because when you take a sponsee through the steps, you go through the. You're steps working too. it too, yeah. exactly. Yep. So That's you're exactly reading the it. book with them, you know, and yep. you're you know reading the messages and the stories with them. So that's yep. good then, you know. Oh, and, for sure. And because you don't want to rush into getting a new sponsor. No, you want to make see, sure that you find somebody that has what you want. Exactly. And that's that, that was the thing that, like, I've been, because I was really connected with my last sponsor, it was, it was almost like, it was the same thing, like, when Karma passed. Like, I didn't want to rush into getting another dog right away. So, like, I want to fill that void, but I want it to be the right thing. Like, I don't want to just kind of act how I used to impulsive and just be like, here, just give me that. Let's do it. Let's run with it. And because it's like that attitude so many times just got me stuck, got me trapped. So Yeah. yeah. And did you start writing the book after karma passed? I did. So I started writing it after she passed. And when I knew like, so my probation ended last August. So I wanted to have all the legal shit behind me. Um, that was like one of my own personal like goals before I wrote the book. Cause I'm like, the last thing I want to do is be this guy who puts out a book and is still on probation, still has legal shit going on. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I just kind of felt like I needed to figure it out for myself and say, Hey, I got through this. I got to this point, um, before I could, 
you know, try to share with others. Yeah. That's awesome though, dude. I'm so fucking proud of you. Because that's Thank to you, go, man. you know, you know, like from having an abusive father, you know, alcoholic that's, you know, beating the shit out of you all the time, and then to, you know, becoming a cop and then having all that go down to where like you're made out to be the bad guy in your own, you know, uniform. It's like and then you're spinning out of control. You're fucking drinking the drugs. The bipolar does not help drinking. No. Um, it makes it way worse. Um, Colleen was a bipolar schizophrenic alcoholic. Um, so, like, I remember whenever I see somebody try to light a cigarette and their hands are shaking, I think of her. Um, yeah. Because, her, you know, she couldn't light it without, like, the tremors because of the alcohol. And, you know, it's a shame, but it's the truth, man. And that's life. And I'm get out and to get eight years on top of going through that system again in sobriety is not an easy thing to do for your mental health. Uh, no, it definitely isn't. I, like I said, I think the biggest thing for me was once I finally got clean too, was figuring out that bipolar piece because for so long it was like, we were treating addiction, treating addiction, treating addiction. And I never felt like I still felt off at times. I still felt like, like I said before, not being in the driver's seat always. And I'm yeah. like, well, what the fuck? I'm sober. I'm not using. I'm doing what they're telling me to do. And yet I'm still going through these episodes of mania. And then afterward, I'd crash and go into these really, really dark depressive phases. And it was like, okay, there's something still not right here. This is more than just depression. And finally figuring that out once I didn't have chemicals on board, it was like, okay, now the psychiatrist can kind of do her thing and we can get this piece in in place that will help as opposed to, okay, we're fighting multiple fronts. Um, yeah. You know, just really kind of narrowing it down. I, I could have swore your thing, your little, like the sheet you sent me, something about police brutality. Yeah, man. So it was, like I said, uh, the radial neuropathy thing, when they literally cuffed and stuffed me didn't safety lock my cuffs because I still have problems with my wrist today like on top of the brain injury it's like I'll go to pick something up my thumb doesn't really work right so I just drop shit it gets frustrating um but it was like and that's just it's so little it's such a little thing but it's like it was done intentionally and yeah. I think the way I look at it is okay if an officer can do me to, do that to me arresting me in a police station taking me to a jail and in uniform what, in uniform what is this guy gonna do to someone on the street that offends him like and then i just think about we, that and we see what they further. do we see yeah. what they do they fucking sit on their neck exactly let's no, be real it, you know what I mean? right yeah and and you know and it's not even just there it's been it's going on all over the place man and it's a fucking shame dude i'm so glad that they're finally putting body cameras on people, you know, oh, you have to, you know, like, like Brianna Taylor, man, what happened to her should have never happened. You know, like dudes weren't wearing even police uniforms and they went to go do a no knock fucking warrant without body cameras on at two o'clock in the morning. Did you expect him not to shoot at you when you're breaking into his house and not announcing yeah. yourself? Yeah. Exactly. The guy's going to like shoot at you first and then you unload like 30 some bullets into his apartment and you know what I mean? Like, like there's, it's excessive. It's oh, not even it the is. fact that you hit somebody. It's the excessive thing that bothers me, you know? Cause like I went to high school with somebody 
And they became a cop. And they were a cop in Camden because Camden's so corrupt, you now have to be a cop in Camden first for a couple of years, and then they branch you out to the smaller ones because you can't spend too much time there or else you can get caught up in the shit, you know? And he, you know, him and his partner were on trial for, you know, police brutality a few years back because they killed somebody. They got shot at once, and then they shot the other guy 23 times. Like, I don't think you needed 23 bullets. No. You know, so, and of course, you know, they got let off, and they weren't, you know, they, they were doing their job. You know, yeah. and, and, and yeah, the guy was a criminal. The guy yeah. was a criminal and the guy was posting shit about hurting cops on Facebook right before that happened. But I doubt the cops were checking his Facebook status before they were rolling up there. Now, you know, they can just use that in court. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they did do prior calls to the house before that day. You know, like they were there like three times that week. But that's not a death sentence. No, it shouldn't be. You know, I mean, if anything, that should just scream crisis. Like, this is an individual in crisis that needs fucking help. That's what it should scream. It yeah. shouldn't scream, let's go over there, roll up heavy, and put some bullets in them. Like, it, and, yeah. and I know cops, and I know, and I know how that thinking was. And I can almost hear it in my head, that conversation between him and his partner on the way out there. Like, it's done tonight. Fuck this shit. Like, we're, it's going down. Yeah, you know, or like, or gearing up, like literally yeah. building each other up. Like, man, this guy's gonna be amped. What are we gonna do? Like, just building, 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 as opposed to thinking, how are we gonna communicate with this individual? How can we de-escalate the situation Thank when we you. get there? Exactly. That's exactly it, dude. Yeah. Like, where is that at that time? And and that's that's part of what I talk about in my book too. I get into police training. Because I was trained in the old school warrior mentality, like where they just scream at you, you fuck up, you do push-ups until they're tired, Berate things like shit. that. Yeah. And I'm like, what kind of cops does that build? And that's what I ask. It's like, really, we've got to look at that. We've got to go all the way back to square one, to the training and say, look, if we're going to let cops train cops, we've got to get the right kind of police in there. Because the warrior mentality training, the I'm paramilitaristic, doesn't fucking work on a general population. Like, yeah. you just end up with civilians that get killed. And there, it's yeah. stupid. There was a, there's a kid, like, we, when everyone's saying defund the police, they're not saying take away their money. They're saying allocate the money for mental Two health. Two different resources. Like, yep. my wife used to work at um, a group home. And with people with special needs. And she got the shit beat out of her. She got like 10 concussions while working there. But nobody was ever killed. She was beat up by these patients. But they were just subdued. They weren't ever hurt. You know? And they would never call the cops because the cops would fucking come in and hurt them. Exactly. You know? There's a kid. You know, I'm in PA. There's a kid last Christmas or the Christmas before, 19 years old, was on the highway and called the police on himself because he was going to jump off the overpass. And when the three cops pulled up, three different cop cars that pulled up for him, um, they saw a pellet gun in his hand. So they rang out about a dozen bullets and killed the 19-year-old on the bridge. Who called on himself. While while it was being recorded from somebody in traffic underneath, they were recording it. So it was all on camera. And all of them are still cops today. The same attorney that – and this kid was an adopted kid at 19. He's a 19-year-old adopted kid. 
you know, so, you know, he's going through a lot of confusing things at that age from like, where are my parents? Why they let me go? Abandonment issues. It's Christmas time. And everyone who has mental, um, any kind of mental issues or problems knows that December is one of the hardest months to get through. Yeah. See, you say that. And uh, okay. Holidays just ring in my head because like mine was right. I always have a hard time right around Halloween. Like I, I know that about myself now. It seems like no matter what, every year Halloween rolls around and either I'm in some kind of like mental state or I've got something else going on. So that's when I need to double down on like the things that keep me sober. But dude, for someone like that, like an adopted kid, 19 Christmas time, there's so many fucking factors there that aren't being considered by the police. And then what they looked at, they immediately arrived on scene. They saw a gun and they saw an opportunity to shoot and they took it. I mean, that's it. Yeah, plain and simple. And um, the same attorney that um, took on um, that fuckface in Minnesota um, for George Floyd, that same oh, attorney. Shouting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that attorney Crump, I think it's his name is. Yep. He took over that case for that kid, too. Um, yeah. So which is, you know, good. But who sees where that goes? I, it's just yeah. it's dude. That, it boils my blood because exactly it's the training that's wrong. Like and it's the they, they put way more money into the police than they're putting anywhere else. Yeah. Like, where's the mental health? Like, we're a mental health facility, dude, and we're trying to do the right things. We're trying to let addicts and people that are coming here, you know, sober or just with mental health problems, and we get no funding. You know what I mean? Like, I've applied for two grants, and I just found out literally a half hour before a phone call. I had to walk outside and smoke two cigarettes because I got denied for another one. You know, we are not getting funding for mental health. You know, and I tried getting donations from local businesses. Guess what? They don't want to be tied to what we're doing here. Quote, no. They don't want to be nope. have our name on what we're doing. It's like, you don't want your name on me helping addicts and people with mental health issues? Like, yeah, sorry, we just can't. I'm like, oh, if I was a fucking stray dog or a fetus not even born yet, you'd be all about it, you know? Like, but as soon as we're born, you can stop giving a fuck. Yeah, you that's know? true. And like, all I'm trying to do is just help people, you know, and give people a safe place to go for meetings. Yeah, we got a rainbow flag on our door and that upsets people, you know, like because we have meetings for LGBTQ, you know, we have them every week and we have them for the youth because I don't know if you know this, but almost 70 to 80 percent of the youth homeless are from the LGBTQ community that are kicked out of their house. Okay, I see. And I thought you were going to hit me with something about suicide rates because I was going to say, I know those are higher, too. Those are higher, too. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and let's be real, man. You are serving the community you're in. You're connected. You know what they need. I mean, these people come through your door. So why not give you resources? It doesn't make sense. As opposed I'll, to let's give it to cops who run a bullshit community policing and usually use that money for overtime. That's that's typically where it gets chewed up, not oh, actually community policing. Yeah, I read that because they're all public. Not, you know, yeah. the people that don't know, go to your look up on your municipal. You can read the breakdown of the revenue that they spend. You can read the full breakdown. How much goes to your trash? How much goes to your works? How much goes to public works? You know, and you can read what the budget is and you will be astonished by how much is allocated to your police. Oh, yeah. And especially when you remember how long it takes them to show up to a call when you make a call. You're like, you're getting this much money and you're bored as shit all day and it still takes you this long to get here? Yeah. Like, how is that? 
you know. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things. And, you know, I can't make people change. And I, I'm not going to be able to make anyone change. And I can't change anyone's mind. I can't, you know, what's happening is happening. All I can do is try to be on the right side of shit, you know, and that's keep putting my right, my best foot forward, you know, and it's exhausting, man. It, it, it can really be is. Men- mentally exhausting and physically exhausting, but it's a lot better of a life than it was before. Oh, hands down. I'd exactly. much rather have to scrounge for change every day now and just, uh, you know, at least we have food stamps. So that's good. Um, but like the unemployment's about to run out, you know, cool. and we've been floating by on my unemployment and that's about to run out the federal one on September 4th. And then we're not going to have any income as a family. We have a seven year old, you know, and that's just real life. Luckily, we got rental assistance to cover our home rent for a few months. So that's paid till December. But, okay. like, my wife just got diagnosed with MS. You know, we got to find another place to live because we're on a second and third floor apartment. And MS has not been good for her body. No. You get up in the stairs and everything. So, yeah, man, we're just – I'm trying not, to, trying not to spin out because it's an extremely frustrating thing to not know where you can live, not know how you can live somewhere new when you don't have any money coming in or any income to buy or rent or anything. But the cool thing is – I have no urge to get higher drunk whatsoever. I know that that will not fix my problem. I no. know that it will not give me the enlightenment. It won't give me any answers. It won't. I, I can't even. It won't work. I need meditation. No, no. Prayer meditation and talking to other people like, you know, doing this podcast helps so much because I just get to talk to other people. And then doing the meetings, you know, I run like three or four. We have four or five meetings a day here, and I probably run two or three, if not four of them sometimes all day. And that helps me too. you know, keep me grounded. You know, those things I need, those things I want, those things can probably help me get out of this eventually, you know, and help my family get out of this. But the last thing that has been on my mind is getting hired drunk. And and that's to me a fucking... That's all credit to 12 Steps, honestly, I think, and lifted of that obsession. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I was lifted of that obsession for sure. I, you know, because I don't need it. It's not going to help me. No, my man, problems no. are still going to be my problems. Exactly. And, and I think, too, for you and me and other people that have been through it, dude, that's the path we've gone down. We know what's at the end of that path. Yeah. Like you don't need to keep revisiting that shit because hell's institutions and death. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. You couldn't have said it better because that's what is at the end of it. Yeah. And it's for me, like there's, there's no reason to ever go back because of even, even with the brain injury, even with battling disability um, and some of the other stuff I go through, it's like, fuck man i still don't want to backpedal i still don't want to relive what i've already done it's like i know where i've been so i want to see where i'm going i don't want to just go backward yeah and that's huge awesome man again i appreciate you coming on and we talked for longer than an hour so yeah we did sorry not sorry sorry. no no, no, not at all i like when they go run late because like when i go to edit i might take out a bunch of stuff so depending on, you know, how it looks when I'm editing. So I like when it goes yeah. long. So really 
like Very my cool. de- my Devin one that was an hour and like 45 minutes was actually two and a half hour conversation. Oh, dude, that was awesome conversation, <laughs> by the way. That was the one I listened to yesterday when I was hitting yeah. you up. And it was just like, because between the two of you with the history you have, like you both of you are so real. And it was just like, yup, I can relate. Yup, I can relate. Like just sitting here, I'm like, this is what I needed to hear today because I understand it and people are talking my language as opposed to so often, like I said with you before, I had that one podcast that just fell flat, but that's because dude's talking to me about the business of writing books. He's reading questions off of a sheet. Thank you. And, and it's like, man, this is just, I can't be authentic. I can't be authentic in this stage. Like it's so hard. So yeah. Thank Um, you. Check out Josh. Um, Josh is somebody that I interviewed right before Devin. I think a couple before her. Um, he did time in jail too, okay. um, as an alcoholic at nineteen. And I even talked to Devin about him at one point too. He he, he was painting in jail. Um, but you'll oh, yeah. really you'll really enjoy that interview. It was another marathon hour and a half something interview. But it gotcha. was like I was on the edge of my seat. You know what I mean? Like he had me going. So that's it awesome. was, um, that's when I knew that it was a good interview. Like when like I was just like not talking and he did most of the talking, I was like, all right, that's a good one. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I bumped other interviews to put his up first, you know, yeah. because it was such a fun interview, but now I do it differently. Now I interview as many people as I can and I put them on Patreon and I roll them out weekly for free on YouTube and shit. Very so cool. I'll get you a link regardless because I'm going to plug it for Patreon by like Wednesday. Okay. Like I'll take a clip from ours and like something that it'll probably be something from like the dark part of it just to get people, oh, of like, course. you know, like, yeah. oh, shit, he stole a painting, you know, and like really yeah. the story oh, is, yeah. is barely part of it, you know. I know. Yeah. So. But but that's the one like that's the thing that when I and this is what I ran into, too, after that, like whenever I apply for a job, dude, anyone Google searches me. That's the first shit to come up. It sure like, is. Like, yeah, exactly. That, that and a guy with the same name as you that's missing Who, right now in Ecuador. Yup, yup, that's exactly. <laughs> so I just Googled so, you yesterday or the other day because I was I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to hear yeah. about, you know, and I was like, I, all right, I'm breaking my own rule. I'm going to fucking Google him. And I don't ever do that before an interview because especially when I don't know the person, I, I want to be authentically, but like I had to know more. And um and then yeah I saw that right away and I was like wait is he the missing guy in Ecuador no no yeah no no keep on drag you stole the painting holy shit all right yeah. I love art thieves let's do this shit <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> I just do it and and personally like I've told this story so many times I wish it was something cooler like I wish it was like no but honestly like I I was working overnight and I had this elaborate plan and I painted up rep like, you know what I mean like. Yeah. I, I, but it's like, no, nah, dude, it was yeah. on the floor with goodwill donations and I took it. Like it's so sad because that that's how it shakes out. But did you see or, um there's a documentary on Netflix called This is a Robbery? And no, I haven't it's seen that. All about these guys that robbed an art museum in Boston back in the early nineties. Okay. And it the first episode is worth it, but then like you don't get a resolution. Spoiler alert. There's no resolution. So really? like it's an annoying thing to be like, well, who fucking did it? You know, yeah. because like, you don't know. Um, but it still, it was pretty cool though, how they set up the sensors and showed like how they run from room to room and how it was an inside job possibly because shit was missing from a room that sensors didn't go off in all that kind of stuff, you know? So, yeah. and plus like oceans 11 was and 12 and 13, you know, I think of those movies, 
And then um, one of my favorite TV shows is Psych. Oh, yes. And hands down. And one of like some of the best episodes are when Carrie Ells, you know, from fucking Robin Hood and Men in Tights. And obviously um, my wife's going to come up. Princess Bride, her favorite movie. There you go. Um, He plays an art thief that, you know, becomes friends with Sean and Gus and is so funny on the show whenever he pops up. And so whenever I think of art thieves, I think of him now. <laughs> and nice. look at that, now you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. I've joined the ranks of the art thieves. So <laughs> yeah, that's like, even, it's yours funny. Yours goodwill. <laughs> I know, right? I, uh, it's even on my LinkedIn profile. So I, because it was. Art thief? Yeah, I put it, no, I put international art thief because I thought it sounded like more like mystical and like, yeah. oh shit, yeah. Because I was like, fuck it. I get asked about this so much. I might as well just put it out there. Lean into it. Exactly, bro. Exactly. You take ownership and then no one has control over it but you. That's exactly it. It's like anything else in life. As soon as you take ownership of it, you're in control again. Other than that, it's, you know, it's spinning. Yeah. So I think Always. it's international art thief. That's fucking yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like, why not? Yeah, fuck it. You know, you're not like yeah. you're working or anything anyway right now. You're just And that's exactly it. Yeah, so. no one if anyone Googles it, they'll have a nice laugh at me, like, fuck it. And maybe, you know, you meet somebody that wants to hear another book from you. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's you know, true. Just because you wrote one doesn't mean you don't want to write another. No, there's there's a good chance I'll write a second one. Um, I've actually I've got a guy that I know really well who was an original, one of the original Latin kings from Chicago, like the original OG, still alive. Um, and he got out of the gang life, so I really want to do his memoir next. I think that would be uh, full of yeah. some very interesting stories. Yeah. yeah. If he ever wants, if you ever tell him you're on a pod and he wants to do a pod, you let him know who to go to for that. I will. I will get I will. some good stories out of that. Holy oh, shit. Oh, I'm for sure. I'm yeah. waiting to talk to a biker this weekend coming up. He was a 38-year alcoholic and addict um, while he was in a biker gang out in California. Ooh. So, yeah, that's who I'm interviewing soon this weekend. Yeah. yeah. That should be amazing. I can only imagine <laughs> some of the tales from him. Yeah, Seriously. yeah. My my sponsee now he grew up in the pagans basically because his dad was in the pagans mm. or still is in the pagans. Wow. So and he got into meth in his early teens. My sponsee and he's clean for the first time since ever. You know, fifteen year meth addict and he has two months clean now. And the other night was a real eye opener for him because. No, no one showed up. Well, people showed up to an eight o'clock meeting and I, my, my pancreatitis was acting up and it was all women. And, um, well, no, not all, well, it, it was two women and, um, and a them and a them, you know, they, okay. yeah. yep. and, um, I want to make sure I get that right. And so they were having the meeting and I was like, you know what? They can have their meeting. You know, I'm going to head out. And as soon as I left, I got home and we luckily the right around the corner. My wife called me and said, Hey, um, blah 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 is here and can you come back and i just don't want to say his name and yeah he you know had he likes to do speedballs heroin and and uh fucking speed all the time and i was like is it bad like can you tell him to go like that went home and she was like uh i was like never mind i know what that means all right i'll be right there and as i was getting out of my car um my sponsee his mother-in-law lives a block down and he was outside there smoking a cigarette and I was like, hey, man, I need you. You got to come yeah. down. So he's like, all right. And he's that kind of guy that's loyal. He's like, didn't even go tell his girl. He's like, all right, let's go. 
and we walked down and I was telling him, I was like, this is the dude that we saw a couple weeks ago that show up because um, he hadn't seen him since. And I was like, you know, he's going to be high. So just be ready for that. Yeah. And we were sitting there in a the meeting. This dude's just like dipped out the entire time. And then he'd wake up and then he'd be all, all like fucking robotic, like a marionette. It was like a puppet, you know, with his body because of the speed. It kept oh, upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, my buddy just like shaking his head. He's like, I'm so glad I'm done with this. Yeah, that's what he kept saying. Like, I'm so glad I'm done. And we were talking this morning um, about it again. And he was like, dude, that was such a great eye opener for me. Oh, for sure. You know, to see what addiction, to see what I used to look like, like that, you know, that can't be taught, you know, like that. You can't you can't read that in the book. No. You know, and he was like, that was that was really good for me to see. Like, I needed to see some shit like that. And because it wasn't like a friend. You know, it was somebody that he didn't know when it didn't, didn't know. And he's just seeing this guy literally on the nod right in front of him. Yeah, man. I tried to even write about that in my book, like with the way I was feeling. And I just said, you know, even a bobblehead, like I could be compared to a bobblehead at times because that's that's how it was. It would be I would just be out. But because of the supplements I was taking with the oh, yeah. the shit. All of a sudden I'd pop back and then just right back Not in. Out again. Like, yep, yep, exactly, dude. Yeah. So, so don't gotta do that yeah. anymore. Um, no, hell no. <laughs> I see my dog do it all the time. She's always trying to stay awake through shit. She just nods. <laughs> she yeah. used to nod out in the backseat of my car when I would drive the two hours to Jersey to pick up, you know, pills. She yeah. she was so good in the car, she would just sit and just want to watch the cars go by. But she would want to stay awake the entire time. And all of a sudden, I would hear her, like, smacking into the side of the windows and shit because she's falling asleep in the back of the car. So, and fighting that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, Damn, all right, man, thanks all again. Right, I really appreciate talking to you. I'll let you know when it's all up and running and everything. But okay. have a good day, man. I'll talk to you. Sounds good. You all too, right. dude. See you, bud. See you, man. See you.